0: Okay, everybody, do you hear this shit? Kitty, what's up? What do you have to say today? Indeed. What else? Oh, she's gone. (laughs) Okay, um, anyways, so this is the intro for the second episode of Cake Bites. My guest today is Billy Joe Kane, and you're actually going to get two episodes from him. The first episode, we talk about his experience competing in the uh, the first annual Texas Video Game Championships and what it was like back in the 80s to, to compete in a huge event like that, considering competitive gaming was still something that was evolving. And And so it was really fun to sit down and talk to him. What you're going to hear today is his experiences as a teenager, uh, mostly competing in the texas video game championships and then he'll be back to talk about his time working for uh, ea origins and you know running his own vr company so without further ado here's billy joe kane
1: So this is... Okay, so when I was a kid, I kept everything. That's a- Anything great. I could possibly keep, I kept. Um, and then we had moved into the, the big house, and so I found a bunch of the shit that I kept. So there are very <laughs> oh. few of these in existence. So those were sent to the... Um, to the 7-Eleven with the material inside of them.
0: And so and 7-Eleven put on the... the te-
1: yeah, Southland Corporation is the owners of the 7-Eleven franchise, which is a convenience store. And so those are all of the official everything.
0: And where did you live at the time that the event was going on?
1: Freeport, Texas. It's on the coast.
0: How was the event set up? Was it like a tournament style over a couple of weeks? or The way
1: that it worked was... Each Seven Eleven in the state of Texas would allow someone to get the highest score on Tempest, Pac-Man, or Defender. At the time of the competition, there were machines everywhere. I mean, we're talking like nothing you can even probably imagine. But it was at any place that had a somewhat captive audience from any type of convenience store to the, to the movie theater. They had put those machines in there. So the way Southland organized it, it was a big kind of a, a grid that goes all the way up where... The each 7-Eleven, whoever got the highest score on those three machines, would advance to. Um, I God, I can't think of the. I guess there were regionals, and um, if they didn't have a defender or Pac-Man or Tempest, they just submitted the highest scores on the, the top three games, and so all the managers were responsible for sending that stuff in. So then at regionals, um, that was all of the individual 7-Elevens would knock that that down to one person. Um, in that area. And then they, they advanced to the next round, um, which were I think divisions and I have all the documentation. I, I can't remember everything right now, but anyway, so then, so for me, it was my small town Seven Eleven, uh-huh. and then, uh, to my County seat, essentially. Then the next level was in Houston and the last one was in Dallas. The, the, the high score in the 7 Eleven just got you entered into the competition. Then you did, you know, uh, local, Houston, and then Dallas.
0: What was the time frame?
1: Uh, it was a matter of like a couple of months, I think. It, it happened really, really quickly. And Might have even been a month.
0: <laughs> Were you planning on trying to have some sort of high score in Defender?
1: Well, when I first started playing Defender, um, I had already been going to my local arcade, which was my 7 Eleven or a uh, hardware store that was down the road from my grandmother's house. So I already had like a routine of going and playing like any game that came out. And then Defender showed up and it was the first video game that ever had like battery backup for their high score. Oh, okay. So we created this ranking system basically right out of the box for high scores. And I was like, I'm gonna become the best person on this game. And I just loved it, right? Yeah. And this kind of happened at a time where I, my family wasn't doing like particularly well and I lived in a what I still consider to be a crummy little town. You know, this the place was not particularly safe, not particularly healthy. But going down to the Seven Eleven and that gave me somewhere to be, not on the streets, not on drugs, not drinking, and gave me something, you know, kind of to strive towards. And so on top of all that stuff, the guy that ran the hardware store was, um, his name was Sagnus and he was one of the owners of the two brothers. And he wanted to encourage kids to do things, so he bought uh, a Defender machine, a couple of Asteroids, some pinballs, and... And the idea was that he would keep kids there and make sure they stayed out of trouble. Yeah. And so we would go in there, and a couple of my friends and I, we'd play Defender and all these other games. And if we set a certain high score for what we were doing, he'd give us $10 worth of quarters. So That's then he it. would say, oh, yeah, if you can make $50,000, i will give you another 10, $10 worth of quarters. And he knew just where those quarters were going, right back in those machines, but it kept us off the streets. So that's what got me hooked on playing Defender, and then um, because I was out all the time playing the thing, when I was already really good at it, because my friends and I were all like addicted to that game. My friend Mark, my friend Keith, and myself—I mean, we played constantly, and so we were always trying to see who could, you know, learn new techniques from each other. Because Defender, you have to really watch somebody to expand your mind about reaching the next level of play. Dragons Lair was so expensive and so popular there's 50 cents a person. There were lines out of these stores. If you got a Dragon's Lair in there, people were lining up, literally, and waiting to play this thing, to drop 50 cents in it. And so, because there wasn't enough places to put your eyeballs to watch someone else play, and since it's a game where you have to memorize the whole thing, basically, they put extra monitors on top of it. Because, yeah, it's a laser disc, which was easy with an RCA cable and then run another one, so they could probably put as many as they wanted to. No other games did that. But it helped because, you know, all those people that were waiting in line to throw their money in that box, they could see and watch the game, be entertained, and learn how to play all at the same time. It's a weird scenario. You don't think about that too much. And, you know, these machines, they, they were getting to be pretty expensive at the time. So, I mean, the people were investing in these things, and they, they wanted to make a return. So when you had that Dragon's Lair machine, which is incredibly expensive, yeah, they, they would do anything
0: to, okay.
1: to make sure people could, could play it. Did uh, odd?
0: Yeah, that, that's that is really odd. Um, your friends that you played with in Freeport, did they also compete in the Defenders Championship?
1: Um, well, or
0: at least in the the local level, since you're the one that
1: <laughs> I hate. Took I mean, I I love those guys to pieces. <laughs> the moment that they had announced that this thing was going to happen, uh, they came to the store and I saw the thing and it said Defender. And I says, I'm winning that. And the lady that runs runs the store, Barbara was her name. She's basically my mom outside of home. She goes, Oh, you're totally gonna win that. And I was like
0: well,
1: <laughs> okay, it's done. And that and that was about that was about all that she wrote about that stuff. The the competition, as we kind of talked about, it wasn't about making the highest score, you know, period. Um, it was the highest score at that Seven Eleven, And then the competition was about how fast could you score? So we oh. had three 10-minute rounds on each of the machines. So you would Play for 10 minutes, they'd write your score down, they'd reset it, play for 10 minutes, write your score down, add all three of those up, and then that was the winner of that round. I have the numbers written down somewhere, but the I had a technique of, of earning a heck of a lot of points that was different than other people. Okay. Um, so when you're playing Defender, you have uh, 10 men, and you get those refreshed every five waves. And at the beginning, there were the 100, 200, 300, 400, 500 on the first through the fifth waves. So when you get to the fifth wave, they're incredibly valuable. So my thinking was, save every single person and human that I possibly can, because every time you catch and retrieve one, that's a 1,000 points. I I know this is so silly for people that don't care about this necessarily. (laughs) No, but
0: it's important. I mean, but the strategy is what's important. Yeah, I mean, that
1: that was the strategy. Keep the guys alive and catch them and release them as often as possible. And some people, in order to go faster... Um, they just didn't care about those things. So they were just wasting what I considered to be wasting points. And I also have a style of playing that's very fast, I guess. At least back then it's considered fast. There are some people that I, that I participate with now, and those guys are amazing. But um, I was super fast and super furious, and I scored just tons and tons of points beyond what anybody else had, had done in the competition. I think part, part of it was my strategy, and part of it was just, I was just... Crazy, stupid, fast.
0: (laughs) So you had Freeport, and then where did you say you played at?
1: We went from, it was, uh, Freeport was my hometown. I think the first competition part was in Angleton. Then it went to Houston and then Dallas.
0: And how many people were you playing against?
1: In Houston, there were three. And in Dallas, there were three. Oh, that's it? That's what I recall. In Angleton, the first place where everybody was in, there was dozens. That was the big knockout, everybody get out of the pool. It It was the big, huge cattle call. Every Seven Eleven sent a champion, essentially, to fight that round of of the, uh, you know, competition. Yeah. So the at the store, nobody cared because it was you know we just knew it. But when you got to that first, everybody was um, in a giant pit. So there were like more machines than there were in any, any of the other ones. So there's a bunch of machines that were all there so they could run through people really quickly. Yeah, There wasn't a stage or anything. It was just like a lot of machines in a big room and people around watching you with timers and things. Some family members were there, but it was mostly just everybody get in, put your scores up, say, sit and wait until everybody else is finished and see if you won or whatever. In Houston, they had rented a, uh, I think it was at the Weston, they had rented a room with press and everything and news people people from um, southland came out i mean you know southland is huge in houston and everything and um, there's a fo- there's a photo i think of me with them and all that um, with the winners and everything it was really really cool I was up on a stage and i don't really like to play by myself, I like to have somebody like right next to me I can basically just jabber jaw while I'm playing. I'm not thinking about it, i not overthinking it. So in Houston, the guy that normally was with me and we hung out and talked all the time, they wouldn't let him on stage with me. And I was like, well, what the hell? What's the big deal? And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, can he stand over there and we'll talk? So we talked while he was off the stage and I was talking to him while I was on stage. And my score was worse than the previous place, but still crushed those guys. All good competition, but I just was really freaking good. And, uh, and then we went to Dallas, and Dallas was insane. They took every 7-Eleven's pinball machines and video games anywhere within like a 50 or 60 mile radius and brought them all into the the bottom floor of this hotel. And it was like acres of games, bigger than anything I've ever seen since. And uh, they were all fresh, brand new smelling, you know, arcade machines. And they had a couple of Dallas Cowboys there running around and some cheerleaders, huge stage, lots. I mean, there's lots of uh, television cameras and news and everything. It was really over the top. And my mom walked around and got all the autographs of everybody and I went around and played all the games that were set on free play. I was like, Are you kidding me?
0: And so I spent too many quarters to get to the Yeah, party.
1: I am reaping the rewards <laughs> of this. I'm playing Astro Blaster for five hours, deal with it.
0: How was it a weekend long event or No, it was a
1: one it was a one day thing. It started oh, in the wow. morning, uh, the the arcade the area opened in the morning, it was done in the afternoon. But yeah, it was nuts. It was nuts. They f- actually flew me up there and everything.
0: Really? Yeah. From Houston or from uh, Freeport? From Freeport.
1: Yeah, they flew me. I think they flew me out of Houston, but yeah. Wow. I had somebody pay a plane ticket for me to go somewhere. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I mean, I lived in a village with twenty five hundred people playing a video game, getting flown on a freaking plane to go win this big competition thing.
0: How How old were you?
1: Uh, let's see, I think it was 82, so 14, 15?
0: Oh, okay, so you were 14? you were pretty young for that type of public event.
1: Oh, I guess.
0: Public event, I, you know, being at the center of a public event of that type. Because it was Defender and Pac-Man. Defender,
1: Pac-Man, and Tempest. Uh,
0: that they were doing concurrently? They were
1: all three run at the same time. So each of the places had, each of those levels had all three of those machines.
0: And you said earlier, did you become friends with uh, the Pac-Man yeah, the guy, at the, the guy- event, or...?
1: No, no, at the event, um, actually, so Alex was younger. I think I'm not even sure. He might have been 12 or younger. Sorry, Alex, if you're listening. But uh, he was younger, and my family had a, a Polaroid. And so we actually have a photo. The only photo that Alex has of the event, I believe, was from my, <laughs> my mom running around with a Polaroid. Oh,
0: my goodness. Yes,
1: and uh we run into each other a couple times, and we, we talk a lot on Facebook. And he's helping with the uh, to keep the first annual Texas Video Game Championships Facebook page alive. So we're actually looking for the guy that won. on. You know, I said Alex had won Pac-Man, and that is, that is absolutely. Absolutely one hundred percent not true. Alex oh. crushed it on Tempest. <laughs> You've been Dude. At
0: classic games fest all Yeah, day. <laughs> let's
1: blame that. No, he murders Tempest like nobody's business. He and I are trying to find an, well who, trying to find the guy that won Tempest. Or defend oh god damn. See what's happening? Pac-Man. <laughs> Pac-Man. There you go. Same as Tim Column. C O L L U M, and no one knows where he is. I, he might have been in his twenties, maybe. Oh, wow so he when he won on Pac-Man, Jesus. So so what happened was after in Dallas at the big thing, after we won on our individual machines, they pulled this thing out which was uh what they called the mystery machine. And so they brought out these three different games. And we were supposed to play on each one of those. And whoever won on that machine was the crowned the Texas video game champion. Yeah. And these were three machines that had never been seen anywhere. Oh, um, wow. I can't think of the name of all of them, uh, but they'll come to me. Anyway, the, it was Zector was the one that, that drove me the most crazy. <laughs> uh, God, two other ones. It wasn't Space Paranoids. Um, I'm just kidding. That's from Tron. But so we got up there to, to play on those other machines, and they had the developers of the game were there, and we got to ask them some questions about, you know, how do we do this? How does this score? What are the movement types and all this other kind of jazz? Well, anyway, so we played, and this one game that I'd played, I think I think it was called Zektor, had this giant boss. So I'd gotten all the way up to this boss, and I just pounded on this boss, and I could not get past it. I'm like, well, what the hell is the big deal with this thing? And Because I was like, oh, this is going to have a big point payoff and you've got to kill the boss. Well, apparently you didn't have to kill the boss. If you died, you just moved to the next level. Oh. And I'm like... I didn't know that, but Tim apparently had asked the guy that was developing the game, "Hey, can I? You know, what do you do?" He was like, "Oh, just do good and just pass it." And I was like, going, You suck!" It was totally unfair. <laughs> but so I didn't win the ultimate thing. But honestly, that really wasn't what I was all about anyway. Yeah. I just wanted to win the Defender thing and just be done with that. That's really what I wanted anyway. So when Tim won, the legend has it that he sold his Pac Man immediately and sold. Uh, I think he got. I'm not sure if he got one of the, the big, the big big ones, but he sold them like immediately, took the cash.
0: I mean, but it took you, how many years is it now? Oh, like so it was sell- 82
1: when it happened, yeah. so 20, 35 years?
0: So to sell your yeah. machine? Or you didn't even sell them, you donated them. Yeah,
1: I've gone through a lot of thoughts about them, I and mean, my friends are sick to death of moving them. That's for damn sure. <laughs> I mean, sorry everybody.
0: If you head to a ballpark, how much do they probably weigh?
1: Oh, four, five hundred, two, three hundred pounds. I don't know. It's the monitor is the most, the heaviest part. But yeah, they're not light, and they're bulky. And I don't want to move them ever again. (laughs) I got to move them tomorrow, and then that'll be the hopefully the last or next to last time they get moved because I got to get them back here before they get shipped to Dallas. Okay. But um, so the the reason I have those is that at the when I one defender and. You know, Alex won Tempest and Tim won Pac-Man. We each got was supposed to be a brand new version of their game. So, you know, Alex got the the brand new freaking Tempest, which still kills me. And Tim got the Pac-Man, which he sold. But they didn't have any more Defenders. They quit making them. So oh. I was like, um, they're like, well, we can get you a used one. And I was like, how about you give me the sequel? And the yeah. one that just came out called Stargate. And they were like, sure, no problem. That thing came to my house. In a box, man, brand new. Are you kidding me? On the back of a truck, and says we unbox that thing. I I think it was on for probably like two days straight of us just playing that thing, just jamming on it. But yeah, that was uh, that was unbelievable. I mean, like a little kid in the middle of nowhere with his own freaking arcade machine. That's yeah. nuts, completely nuts.
0: And did it, was the Texas Video Game Championships your first foray into competitive gaming?
1: Oh yeah, there wasn't really, there wasn't really anything else like that that I even knew about. And I know that you know you probably heard this a million times, but there wasn't any internet. There wasn't any internet, and there wasn't any internet. There there was hardly any gaming magazines at all or gaming anything. We got like drips and drabs of articles through our um, like the Houston Chronicle, which was our our nearest big big paper, Um, and they were I think even them. Even some of those were syndicated. Uh, very little local news. When a game came out, you had no idea if it was any good or bad. You just had to go put money into it, just like um, you know any home cartridge games on the twenty six hundred. You had no idea if this game was going to be good or bad. None. It was a it was literally you went to the store and you bought it and you took it home and hoped it was good I'm serious in <laughs> the boxes either. you look at you go look at those boxes and you tell yourself is this gonna be a good game or not you have no freaking idea <laughs> none but I mean that was that was just the the way it was back then
0: and how was, was your family pretty supportive of the
1: whole oh they were ridiculous yeah they were to- <laughs> they're totally into it. Um, in fact, I mean, like everyone was really supportive. Not only did they put up with me going to all these millions of different, you know, arcades everywhere. Um, I found out after my dad passed away that he went around to every seven 11 and would drag his friends in and show them my initials, on all Aww. these things. Yeah. Cause I, and I was like, I was all over anywhere. They had a, anywhere. They had machines. I would just go play everywhere and leave my initials all over the place. And yeah, my dad was super freaking proud. That's it was awesome. Yes, it was adorable actually. And he uh he made me a t-shirt when I won the um, championship in uh, Brazoria County, which was our county. Uh, so he made me a Brazoria County champion shirt and then when I won the one in def- when I won the state one, he actually took it and put state defender champ on the back of it. So it's like this crazy weird uh, I don't know, it's kind of like a little it's probably one of the nicest things he ever did yeah. for probably anybody.
0: I mean at the time I feel like and so Texas Video Game Championships is one thing and mm-hmm. then World Records is another, right?
1: Yeah, like... it is really. Um so I didn't really know anything about worlds records when I was a kid. It didn't even it never even occurred to me that anyone would keep track of some big high score like that. And I remember reading about somebody making some, you know, six million, six million points in Defender and my friends and I were like, who cares? (laughs) Six million is nothing. You know, it's like we, we would roll, we, we always called it roll. We'd roll those machines over and over again just until we just got tired after, you know, we'd reached a certain point. So it was just like, oh, really it's just a matter of staying up. Does anybody want to stay up for a couple of days? And nobody ever did. And we didn't think anything of it because what are you going to do? Tell your three friends that, you know, you spend all day long. Did you see that thing I did the other day? Yeah, I did. I watched you do it. Okay, cool. I mean, there wasn't any concept <laughs> yeah. of, uh, of there being world's records until, you know, until I think we got a little bit older and then we saw it somewhere, but it never even really occurred to us. So anyway, why is that important? Well, I always, after I found out that there were world's records and people were keeping track of them, it sort of bothered me. I was like... I could do that, I could totally do that, and then I just never did it um, and a few years ago, I met this guy named Josh Jones, wonderful guy um, and uh, worked together on a, on a whole lot of different things but and we became really good friends and uh and Josh just convinced me, dude, you need to go for this record. you need to go for this record. you could totally do it and he hooked me up with all sorts of people that do that did marathons and hooked me up with a, a bunch of different people um there's a part of left out and the part of left out was uh actually meeting Walter Day oh okay and so with Walter and Josh all kind of uh kind of combining together that's how I got to the record but so I had met Walter Day at a uh the world premiere of King of Kong here in Austin oh wow so um they had uh, Steve Wiebe was there and he was going to after the movie. He was going to go outside and try to set the world record on Donkey Kong, which is like awesome. Are you kidding? The movie is all about how he didn't get it, but he's going to go out there and he's going to go for it. This is amazing. This is the greatest experience ever. And so Walter is—he's uh, giving away copies of his uh, his world record book. So he has this giant book full of game world records. And uh, and I'm like I'm like going, oh my god, I totally want to get one of those things. What the hell? And uh, he gives them all away. By last numbers on people's driver's licenses. And, you know, people get them. And I, and after he's given them all away, he's like, okay, cool. See you guys out in the, in the, in the foyer or whatever. So I went down and I, I introduced myself. I actually didn't even introduce myself necessarily. I just said, Hey, you know, Mr. Day, I wanted to ask you something about, you know, getting a defender record. I played a competition back in the, he goes, you're Billy Joe Kane. And I was like <laughs> Uh, yeah. He goes. You played in the first annual Texas Video Game Championships, and you won the Defender record, and I, or you won the Defender title. And I was like, Yes, I did. He goes. I know. I researched it, and it's in my it's in my World Championship. And he says, and hold on a second. Hey, anybody that got your book, please bring it up here and get it autographed by Billy Joe Kane, who won this thing. And so, oh sure gosh. enough, inside the book, he had me autograph everybody's everybody's books right there and there's little signature gosh. lines by all these little things so people can try to go collect signatures so i oh signed everybody gosh. i signed everybody's book yeah that's crazy amazing. it was the nerdiest thing i mean like i've had a lot of nerdy things happen but at the time that was the nerdiest for i mean
0: life. there's nothing like just having someone point at you and just be able to be like you're what
1: the hell was that right? yeah i'm still <laughs> flabbergasted just absolutely floored so yeah that was that was pretty crazy uh, and then so Walter and I wound up hitting, uh, uh, you know, striking it off. And that's in, when Josh fell into my life. And then so Josh was just after me all the time. Let's set a record. Let's do the record. Let's do the record. I'll I'll be the the referee. So he went and even got, uh, he became a world record officiator for Recordsetter.com. And he was officiating all sorts of other records. He's like, dude, I can officiate your thing. Let's just do this. <laughs> so I was like, all right. And we, we organized a... Um, uh, an attempt at the record. But the idea wasn't, I was like, man, we're not going to be doing this just so that I can do this. We're going to raise some money. So like this was, uh, the championships was for the March of Dimes. Oh yeah. So my world record was to raise, um, we've set a goal of a thousand dollars to, uh, to go to a soup kitchen in Josh's hometown, Colleen, which is a place that he loved and respected. I'm like, if you're coming, we're going to give some, you know, some love back to Colleen. So we started a, uh, uh, we didn't do a GoFundMe, I don't think. No, we didn't do GoFundMe. We did something else. I think we were just keeping track of it on Facebook or whatever. And so we got people to donate. Um, Walter had done uh, trading cards a long time ago. So he did trading cards for the uh, for the Texas Video Game Championships. He did cards for um, a number of other things. And so what I did was like, he gave me a bunch of them. And we actually were selling them oh, wow. online, autographed or non-autographed. They cost more, or didn't just so we could raise money for the soup kitchen. And yeah, we did, we ma- we managed to get really close to the thousand dollars. And one of my friends called at the very end. He goes, "Okay, how much do you need?" I told him. He's like, "It's all done." So I was like, "Yeah."
0: <laughs>
1: so we raised we raised the money, and that's when that's. Uh, <laughs> when Josh came over and we we went for the ill-fated 85 hours in a row of Billy's hands being able to handle it, and they couldn't. But, uh, <laughs> how, yeah.
0: How uh, how long ago was this?
1: This was, uh, I think, November of 13. Okay. It was like four years ago.
0: Wow. And how long did you... So the goal was to play 85 hours.
1: Yeah, the um, the way that gaming history you know, kind of tells the tale, so Walter ran Twin Galaxies, he started Twin Galaxies, and they were collecting scores, but, you know, there wasn't videotape, there wasn't internet, there wasn't anything. Uh, In fact, taking pictures of things really wasn't that much of a thing either, so basically everything was word of mouth. Like, I said that I made the score, and then you would sign a piece of paper attesting that, and that's all that it really took. So there were plenty of scores that were full of crap, and plenty of scores that probably looked like they were full of crap, but weren't. You know, like, my friends and I could have played Defender for days and set whatever records. I don't know if we would have hit the the numbers that some of these guys were saying, but it wasn't, it wasn't a problem. It was just lack of sleep it would have been the only issue. Yeah. So a lot of old records, I don't think they're out of range. Well, anyway, so over the years, a the bunch of different Defender players I played with have kind of come to the conclusion that... Some of the numbers were, that were submitted were impossible because of the rate of play, like the number of points you make per hour. So when you divide it up, you're like, "One, That doesn't make any sense. And so there were, you know, allegations of people that would play for like eight hours one day and then eight hours the next day, and then the arcade owner would just add it all up and they say, "Oh, this oh. guy made whatever points." So I don't know what happened, but anyway, the the numbers on Defender didn't make sense until you get down to this one. Forty million score by this guy named Dale Rees, who actually had press about him doing this forty-hour marathon, and everything that he's everything that you see about it looks completely legit, but there's just nothing that's quote official. So, I, in my mind, and I think a lot of the people that um, I talk to on Facebook in our Defender group, I think. Dale is the man. I mean, he's got the score, the timing makes sense, all of those things. Of course, anybody could have done it at the time if they would just had time to do it. So, you know, me coming in with, you know, a, a, a referee on site, uh, two other referees online, and, you know, hundreds of people that watched off and on throughout the whole thing, um, running it through Twitch, you know, it's like, I, I have the highest refereed score on Defender period. Yeah. You know, today until somebody beats it tomorrow, whatever. But I mean it's just so I I think and I the people that I talk to all the time believe fully that Dale is the man. You know, he did it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I managed I did it for me as an old guy to raise a thousand bucks (laughs) and be able to say that I did it. Yeah. Uh for myself. I would never try to take Dale's you know, thing away from him anywhere any more than I would try to do anything else. It's just that the fact is that I had referees at the time and it was more of an officiated score.
0: Okay. Would you would you say that there's quite a community about around the world records of, of various games it, or
1: it seems like there is. Yeah. Um I don't know how large that community is because it's like you kind of have this nucleus of games and then it kind of just starts getting bigger and bigger. So the so the number of games with high scores just starts skyrocketing yeah. after what? 1984, 85, when the NES comes out, but yeah, the, that classic era of you know arcade gaming seems to have you know um, a group of people that care about those scores, and I think it's because it's like it's something you can look at and you go, I can achieve that. Someone yeah. can do that.
0: It's a goal you can set yourself to. Yeah. Show how well how well you play.
1: Yeah, I mean, and the games are so iconic that it's like you know if you can set a record on one of those old games. It still resonates.
0: Yeah. Um, so after the Texas Video Game Championships, did you do anything with Defender? Um, after no, that?
1: I didn't really. No, I hauled that machine around with me everywhere yeah. that I everywhere that I went. Well, both of them actually. But because uh, oh yeah, so I I won the Stargate, and then a couple of years later, I was driving around and I saw a guy um, who was obviously moving games from one place to the next. Stopped him on the side of the road. How much do you want for that defender? He's like a hundred bucks. And so I was what? like, I'll be right back. And so I went and got some money, and uh, yeah, I bought it for hundred
0: bucks. Oh my god!
1: Don't worry, I've spent way more than a hundred dollars on it in repairs <laughs> throughout the years. You know, it's the it's not like the red Barchetta or the old Mustang sitting in somebody's yard and it's perfect. It's like no, dude, this thing, those things require maintenance.
0: The 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 oh, machines. Yeah, I believe it.
1: I mean, it'd be one thing if I cared enough to do all the maintenance and learn how to do it myself. But I I pay somebody to do that because I don't have the time to to get into the nitty gritty.
0: I never really. Well, did, I never
1: made the time. I don't ever want to say I don't have the time. It's never was my decision.
0: I I never really considered the fact that you would need to have them have tune-ups be done.
1: Yeah, the the um, the ROMs, all the memory chips that are in there, they get unseated or oxidized, and oh, so wow. you know you have to figure out where is you know where's the problem. Did the the chip itself just burn out? There's a million little things, and and everything from wiring to the switches and the pins and all that stuff. I mean, it's just it's a Yeah, it's electronic, but it's also mechanical, and all of that's just a recipe for stuff to just rot, especially after
0: thirty years.
1: Right, and you got plastic parts and stuff that just rusts and degrades.
0: I can imagine that the controls might like. Oh, they wear out like crazy. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, if you. Tomorrow, go grab the controller on that defender, and you see if you think you, if you think that thing is any. It it is like it's just got so much slop in it. It's just <laughs> beat to shit. I think I don't know if it's the original one, but it may as well be. I mean, that thing is that thing's put up with some mess. And you can see newer ones, and they're all tight. It's like no, that one. And I and I was I actually was like, should I replace this for this for this thing? It's like no, I'm used to it being loose. But what if I? Jesus Christ. <laughs> Oh, another uh, interesting fact. Uh, I was listening to a guy talk about the Frogger score today. And yeah. I was wondering if people use generators or whatever. Well, my uh, our house in our neighborhood, every so often we would lose power. And I'm like, if I have an 84-and-a-half-hour run on eight, and I wanted to go 85 and there was a freaking power outage, I will kill someone. So <laughs> I was like, what can I do to make this less likely to be a problem? And so I had a friend that had a really ridiculous uh, UPS power supply that... You know, was running clean power and all this stuff because yeah. he was a he is a hardcore computer nerd. He's like, this is this thing is epic, and I was like, okay. So the idea was let's plug it in, and if for some reason the power goes out just for a tiny bit, will your defender survive? And it turned out that it would. I think we had like five seconds or something like that, but I was like, I feel so much better. I mean, because when it comes to these records or whatever, you you need to be playing on the actual machine. It's got all the love and the feel and it's an it's actual CRT monitor and all the switches are in the right place. But there's so many, this is the colossal number of, of uh, potential failure points. Yeah. You know, one of your buttons might stop working and that's it. You're done. And so I was like, what can I do to reduce my chances of failure? Which is, that's a, more of the tips that I got from a lot of the other marathon players. It's a really interesting community. The old school arcade gamer community.
0: Do you feel like uh, arcades were more palatable to the general public than kind of like conventional video games are nowadays? There
1: were he- there were really large arcades, and they were family places to go to um, some places like some convenience stores or some bars that were just as seedy as anything else. I mean, it didn't really make a difference. It was a game that was in there. It just happened to be the place was a little more seedy. But yeah, most arcades and the larger places, as I remember, were all you know, family oriented and, you know, the adults could come in, no smoking or any of that mm-hmm. stuff. It was a pretty, pretty well-regulated places, the the larger ones.
0: And did you play anything after Defender or was that kind of...
1: I think the Defender thing lasted for a long time uh, and then there was a lot of home gaming that I was still kind of playing around with, but I sort of moved into uh, computer mode at, oh, yeah. at that, Yeah. Uh, start playing Apple 2e's and all that good stuff uh, s- seriously got nerdy on the Ultimas and the choplifters and all those old school games <laughs> but yeah it was the 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 arcade time kind of ended because I also ended up dr- getting a car and you know growing up
0: hmm absolutely I mean uh, but you you took your love of the games mm-hmm. and and I mean and you made it into a career. All right, so that is the first part of my interview with Billy Joe Kane. I will have him back on the show in a couple of weeks to talk more about his experiences working in the video game industry. And uh, on cakebites.com you'll find the show notes for today's episode. I'll have links to where you can find Billy at uh, and about the projects we haven't gotten to talk about yet like the Radical Empathy Education Foundation, an amazing nonprofit that Billy has uh, has founded and has been doing amazing work with and developing work for. So you'll at least be able to find the link on the website, but he'll be talking at length about the foundation on uh, the next episode he's featured on. And I'll be posting some special content for my patrons on Patreon, I'm really excited to share some of the promotional materials that Billy has kindly shared with me from the first annual Texas video game competition and championships. Even if you just pledge a single dollar, you'll have access to my patron-only feed, and there's a lot of perks. You can find everything and all of the information at patreon.com slash cakebites. One of those perks, though, is that you get a shout-out on the show at least once, So this is my first shout-out. I've got two patrons, and I couldn't be more thankful. (laughs) The first is my mom. Thank you, mom, for always, always, always supporting me, even when what I'm doing seems ridiculous. I I could never ask for more. And uh, the second is to Brady. I was not prepared (laughs) to start doing uh, Q&As, or running the Discord server, or anything this soon, but uh, this will be an adventure for both of us. <laughs> you can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, everywhere at Cake Bites. You can actually subscribe to the show on iTunes for sure. I'm waiting on, on Google Play, and I've submitted the show to most of the directories. If you're having troubles finding the show, please just send me a message, and uh, we can try and figure out if I have neglected to submit the show somewhere else, so. So be sure to subscribe and review the show, please. That would be amazing, and uh, I'll talk to you guys next week.